Gaming Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of September 13th, 2022, and this is officially episode number 528, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. Lots of news in store for you tonight, and we're going to go all over the place. We've got... uh, Pretty much everything. We got cryptozoology, ufology, or ufology. I don't. I always say ufology. I don't know where you get ufology. You should just say ufology. Anyway, I'm not gonna go too far with that. Uh, we also got some ghost news tonight. A couple of stories and a weird one that uh, just uh, just read tonight. Uh, then we got some other news as well. So all the categories we're gonna cover, we're gonna talk about tonight. And, uh, well, we'll just, uh, we're going to jump in with both feet. We got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of ground to cover. And, uh, of course, it's that time of the year. It's uh, getting darker earlier. I notice when I go to work, it's uh, a little darker. I get home, it's a little darker. Uh, it's a little cooler in the morning, a little more crisp earlier. So, yeah, it's, it's coming. But uh, also it's coming is... Halloween, which is our fun time of the year. And, of course, all the things that go with that. It seems like they're always rushing. Of course, they're rushing Christmas if you're retail. And, of course, uh, fall, so Thanksgiving, the harvest time of the year. Uh, But, of course, all that's kind of wrapped up, harvest and fall and uh, Halloween kind of all together. But then uh, they rush through that for Christmas. But... Man, Halloween. It's always a fun time of the year, though. It's It gets me through the bad weather and having to rake leaves every other day and all the rain and having to rake leaves and the cold temperatures and, of course, uh, raking leaves. So it's, it's here. There's nothing we can do about it. We just got to push through it. But also this time of the year, for some strange reason, I don't know why, when you're talking about ghosts and you're talking about um yeah you know because ghost stories used to be christmas now it's halloween i don't know people tell stories on christmas eve anymore uh but halloween is obviously that time of the year where people dip their toes in the paranormal they want to know what's going on Uh, i always used to get uh, an influx of people that were interested in becoming part of uh, my paranormal investigation team around halloween before during and after Halloween, those people usually never stuck around that long. Uh, but, you know, it brings interest in everybody. So uh, a lot of times this time of the year, you'll have stories that pop up about belief in paranormal uh, topics or cryptozoology. And uh, there's been a few over the years that I followed that were really, really in-depth and really, really good. Uh, but I've not seen a couple of those. The two that I follow, I've tried to find in the last couple of years, they have not updated. However, MSN.com presented one uh, 
it was actually a while ago. It's been over a month that I just never got around to talking about this, but uh, time is running out, I think, you know, for talking about belief in creatures and animals uh, when you're talking about Halloween type, because, you know, that's when people are really talking about that. And anytime I mentioned what I do or, you know, being in the paranormal or talking about the paranormal here on the Paranormal News Insider, people always, they'll give their two cents. They'll talk about what they believe in, or they ask me if I believe in Bigfoot. Uh, And so Civic Science created a survey in mid-July, and I don't know really how they conducted it or who they exactly ask they do give demographics of the people that they did ask so i I don't know if it's uh really super scientific it's probably as good as you can get Uh, you're not gonna obviously not gonna ask people in a uh, bigfoot believers facebook page if they agree with uh you know that uh, bigfoot is real or not but uh, in this civic science survey uh, 13 percent of u.s adults said they agree with the statement that, uh, quote, Bigfoot or Sasquatch is a real living creature, unquote. And that is up from 11% uh, from when they did this back on uh, in May of 2020. So a little bit more than two years, there was an 18% increase in the belief that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is a real living creature. Uh, also see an increase in the Loch Ness Monster belief that went from eight percent to nine percent and also aliens have visited humans on earth has jumped from 28 to 31 percent of course that's pretty believable due to the all the news and information surrounding ufos in the last few months but uh we'll uh i don't know we'll see how that uh Continues to grow if, you know, if it kind of goes away. We've got some news about UFOs tonight. Thanksgiving. Not sure why. Well, I don't know why. It's in uh, October in Canada, but it's in November in the United States. I don't know. I don't know. It's a great question. So it was on Thursdays. Last Thursday of November, I believe, here in the United States. I don't know if that's the rule. Or what? I don't know. That's weird. Um, I'm not in charge of the calendar. I wish I was. It's always like, uh, almost like exactly a month too from our Thanksgiving to Christmas. I think maybe that's part of it too. A 30-day countdown to the retailers to sell other junk. Um, but back to belief in Bigfoot or Sasquatch. They do some interesting breakdowns. Uh, they do urban, suburban, and rural uh, American adults belief. So I guess this is just America. Uh, in 2020, 11% of urban American adults believed in Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And in 2022, that jumped up to 13%. Uh, the biggest increase was in suburban American adults. It went from 9% back in 2020 all the way up to 13% in 2022. And rural people stayed the same 14% for both surveys uh, now looking at, at American adult belief in Bigfoot or Sasquatch in US census regions 
I'm kind of amazed by this. This actually took me uh, kind of off guard a little bit that um, the Northeast, which basically looking at this map includes uh, pretty much Pennsylvania, just straight east and northeast. So Pennsylvania, New York, uh, you know, all the way up through Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, Massachusetts, New Jersey. You get it. I think uh, D.C. is in there. But Northeast, only 11% of American adults believe in Bigfoot Sasquatch. I thought it would have been a little higher. Pennsylvania and New York are pretty big states as far as belief. I mean, you got in the state of Maine, you got uh, Lauren Coleman's uh, Cryptozoology Museum, the International Cryptozoology Museum up there. But eh, I don't know. Uh, in the Midwest which is uh, Ohio, Michigan, um, but then pretty much halfway through the United States, is uh, 13%, so that's pretty much average. Uh, south, which is Texas on eastward, all the way up to, um, well, I guess the Virginias, the uh, percentage is 13% as well. But then you go out west, and I guess this is pretty believable, California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, I guess Hawaii is in there too, I would, would assume. Um, and eastward to the Midwest, uh, 15%. So I, I guess, I, I, guess I, I get that. Um, some other weird info. Uh, people 16 to 34, 2020, it was 11% and 14% now. Um, 35 to 54 went from 12% to 15%. And 55 and older, uh, they're a little skeptical, a little bit more skeptical. You hit 55, and I guess you just stop believing. You, you just take the journey record off the record player and say, I'm not believing anymore. Uh, it goes from 10% back in 2022 to just 11% in 2022. So uh, that gr it's growing. But uh, they're still skeptical, a little bit more skeptical than people um, who are younger, younger folk, tend to believe. You know, I, I believed a lot of weird stuff when I was younger. Uh, let's see, some more information. Uh, compared to non-believers, Bigfoot believers are generally, this is kind of stereotype, stereotyping people, uh, more likely to be daily YouTube users. I'm pretty much a daily YouTube user. It's addictive. Uh, more likely to play a musical instrument. I don't know how good I am at the bass guitar anymore or the acoustic, but uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, more likely to plan to invest in cryptocurrency. I'm not sure about that. I think maybe they're mis mistaking the word crypto. I don't know how many people are into that. And here's a kind of funny one. More likely to bet on sports online. I know a few people that do that. Uh, more likely to believe in the Loch Ness Monster. More likely to enjoy the 1990s TV show, The X-Files. A lot of younger people don't even know what that is anymore. Uh, more likely to own a gun. And I guess you're going to need it if you're going to go hunt Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So belief is up. And it, it always seems like belief is up. 
in ghosts, in UFOs, in cryptozoology, all these things. And of course, belief in UFOs has uh, you know steadily increased due to a lot of the attention that it's been getting in the media, and that has not stopped here this year or this month or this week. Uh, the website and YouTube channel, there it is, YouTube channel, um, the Black Vault, which has uh, it's had some groundbreaking findings and stories popping up on government doings with UFOs and UAPs over the years. Uh, it's been given the results of a Freedom of Information Act uh, inquiry sent uh, two years ago, which, yeah, it takes that's pretty quick, actually. It's a pretty fast turnaround. They usually make you wait. Uh, so they got the uh, results, and unfortunately, their request for more information on UAP videos was denied. I mean, it was denied on the grounds of national security. And I thought, there, I don't know, I, I thought they were going to be more open about all this stuff. I thought they were going to be more forthcoming and share information and, and uh let people know what's going on. So, so much for the government being a little bit more transparent on UAP information. Uh, the Black Vault received an email from Gregory Carson, who is the deputy director of the Navy's FOIA office, who said in part, quote, the release of this information will harm national security as it may provide adversaries valuable information regarding Department of Defense Navy operations, vulnerabilities, and or capabilities. No portions of the videos can be segregated for release, unquote. Now, let that sink in for a second. Of course, we know that uh, three other videos have been previously released. And uh, not really officially, at first at least. Uh, all these seem to, to be uh, snuck out. In one way or another, or released by you know different people who got a hold of these things. Whether or not that was on purpose or uh, kind of just the government saying, "Hey, let's slip this out and see if what people think about this stuff." Uh, I, I don't know. I still think that the government knew about all that. I mean, if you released sensitive information, top secret information, uh, generally those people just disappear. And you know, get court-martialed or something. Now, as far as I know, no one who's been involved with all this stuff has gotten in any trouble at all. So it makes me think that they're just testing the waters. They just wanted to see what the general public could come up with because they couldn't figure it out. And, of course, um, a lot of the general public uh, figured it out pretty fast and provided some logical explanations. So why won't they release more to the public. Why are they holding on to this stuff? Well, the email added, said, quote, while three UAP videos were released in the past, the facts specific to those three videos are unique in that those videos were initially released via unofficial channels before official release. Those events were discussed extensively in the public domain. In fact, major news outlets conducted specials on these events. Given the amount of information and the public domain regarding these encounters, it was possible to release the files without further damage to national security, unquote. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. So they officially released them anyway. They didn't deny anything. Um, they kind of played along with it. And they gave additional information about these videos. So I don't see what's different between this and other videos taken from cockpits of uh, fighter jets or, um, you know, anything else. Granted, a, a lot of details of these flights, of these um, situations that these uh, jets and stuff were were you know, involved in, in ships and things off the coast of California, you know, it, it did, uh, get a, you know, dig a little bit more into detail as to what the, um, the Navy's up to conducting tests and things. So maybe there's some information they just don't want released, but then just don't release that part of the stuff. I want to see the videos. You know, what are we all, what are we afraid of here? What are we hiding? And, uh, just what, Will our adversaries figure out? You know, is there more to this story? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, it's said that uh, 24 videos are being withheld and include 19 separate sightings that all occurred in the second half of 2019. That's very specific. That's really interesting, but you know, basically, looking back at these three videos, somebody leaked top secret material, and the government then released more information about those videos. It was determined by several civilian sources that those videos were not as unexplainable as the government made them out to be. And now, apparently, we won't be seeing any more of these. That's what they say, but I, I call fooey. I don't think that's true. Uh, I, I think they'll find a different way to leak one or two or three more, uh, probably within a year, maybe not by the end of this year, but I would say by eh, the early part of next year, maybe March, oh, we're going to see another leaked video. And I'd use air quotes there, leaked video, uh, conveniently in time um, to spur some sort of conversation, uh, you know, maybe uh, around the time uh, for budgeting. So maybe this year, maybe in November. When do they do the budget in November, December? Uh, so probably around that time, we'll be talking about that. And uh, that helps generate money for national security, for the government, for different uh, ops that uh, desire more budget. I think that's really what a lot of that was before, is leaking all this information to try to generate a little bit more money for all this stuff so people could just uh, collect some cash. And uh, just uh, watch watch home videos about these things. But, um, yeah, I think they'll leaked conveniently in time to, to spur a little bit more concern about our national security or, again, around budgeting for defense. But I, I don't think that we're not going to see anything else. I think the, uh, you know, we've had all these meetings, these town hall meetings and uh, discussions about releasing information, and all of a sudden, we're not going to see anything. And I think there'll be a little bit of backlash about this story. And uh, we will see a little bit more information leaked. And, of course, uh, you know, NASA's getting involved. They're going through. They're sifting through all their old VHS tapes uh, and, and looking at things. And, you know, what else is out there? Is there civilian data that could 
add to the uh, mystery about all this stuff, or maybe even solve some of these sightings. Uh, that'll be remain to be seen. And of course, uh, you know they're budgeting money to uh, observe things, keep track of things, and uh, try to find UAPs and UFOs. So, so now it's not just, oh hey, something's going on. Let's record it. Uh, but now we're, they're actively looking for these things. So we'll see uh, how that changes anything. But I can't see them uh, being able to be tight-lipped about this for too much longer uh, with the focus that the, the government has had about releasing data, releasing information. And you really got to explain this stuff. Explain to me how it's a threat to national security. What information is going to threaten us? And granted, you know, I'm totally in favor uh, trust me, I'm more in favor of not giving away secrets, not giving away our uh, methods for doing what we do with uh, national defense. Uh, I don't want to open ourselves up to uh, giving away too much information. But how do you hide anything in, anymore? I mean, we got si satellites that can read um, the tag on your license plate from space. Uh, I, I don't know really how secret anything is. Anymore, as far as you know, the Navy doing ops or our jets or, or technology or anything like that. But uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye peeled. I, I think uh, the story is fairly new, so we'll see if there's going to be any kickback. And of course, you know, once we're talking about elections and we're talking about budgets, then of course, this is going to be on the table once again. And speaking of UFOs, uh, one UFO sighting that's not top secret is one that happened in the skies of Calgary, Canada over the weekend. On Saturday evening, many people saw something odd flying through the sky, something bright, something they thought was on fire. Karina McConnell described what she saw. She said, quote, I noticed something in the sky and I looked up and we started filming because I didn't know what it was. It was going pretty slow to be a meteor, in my opinion, uh, but it definitely looked like one, unquote. So I saw something fiery in the sky, but going very slow. Uh, a lot of other people were concerned about what they saw in the sky, but Robin Forrett was able to view the object through a telescope. Uh, he is the past president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and said that the fireball-looking object was actually just a jet aircraft. Uh, we've talked about these types of sightings many, many times before, every few weeks it seems like. Uh, but this one was a little more strange. Uh, I'll give you that one. Uh, because of the uh, the angle, the direction, usually these are seen from uh, you know a, a, the sun setting and the jets flying either away or toward the viewer. Uh, the contrail is uh, being hit by the sun, so it's super bright. Uh, you can't see the jet. The jet's higher. That illumination makes it seem like it's a lot closer than what it is. So you'd expect to hear it, but you don't hear it. So of course it makes people think something's on fire, a plane's crashing, a UFO is crashing, or a meteor is streaking through the sky. But if it's a meteor, Meteors are pretty fast, and uh, if you're going to see a day flash, uh, you're probably going to hear it. 
go boom, 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 boom. For every flash you see, you're going to hear a sonic boom. Uh, it's pretty rare uh, to see that during the day. I think the last really major one was, uh, was that 2008, I want to say, the Chelyabinsk, Russia meteor that broke up. Man, that was scary. If you've never seen that or heard that before, look up uh, Chelyabinsk. Don't ask me to spell it. It's like C-H-E-L-Y-B. And then you're on your own. Uh, meteor. Or just look up Russian meteor explosion. You might go to the 1908 Tunguska event. But uh, if you go on YouTube, there's videos. And turn up the sound. Because you'll people are filming this thing flying overhead. And it's just like, boom. It's breaking glass. Sonic boom. It's very loud. So if you're seeing... A streaky object in the sky during the day. It's probably you're probably you're going to hear it if it's a meteor uh, to be that bright to be able to see it. It's certainly not going to last that long. Uh, it's going to be over in seconds, uh, but it will leave a contrail as well. A meteor, a larger meteor breaking up. Now, if it's a uh, satellite or something along those lines, it will be a little slower. I'm um, still hitting terminal velocity, but usually it's a little bit bigger, so it's going to be, it's going to slow down a little bit more. You know, meteors are pretty small generally, so they go pretty fast, and they're already uh, a pretty good click. You know, when they're flying through the sky or flying through space before they hit our atmosphere, whereas uh, satellites are usually just kind of dragged down over time, and they're not going as fast. Uh, but uh, satellites break up; they're a little bit slower. And they will leave long streaks. Uh, so sometimes people can mistake that for uh, a plane contrail, but it's pretty rare. Um, but this one definitely was a plane. And one of the things that kind of made it a little more difficult was the fact that there was uh, there's some forest fires in the area. So the sky was full of smoke from these forward, uh, forest fires, the extra layer of smog made the uh, sunsets a little bit more red, but also obstructed the jet from being a little bit more easily identified. So generally, you know, if you see a contrail, you're looking at the thinner side of it, you look out ahead, you can generally see a jet creating it. But when it's smoggy out like that, yeah, good luck. You're not going to see anything. So a contrail with a jet. And uh, those things are easily figured out if you have a photograph you know the direction you know where the person's taking the photograph from and the direction they're facing and the exact time and you can look up um to see jets were in the area so uh, easy but a lot of people were concerned you know obviously they they think that uh, things are crashing all the time so those type of sunset contrails uh, do get confused for meteors and UFOs all the time. It's a pretty common occurrence for that to happen. Uh, ghost news. It's kind of excited to see this. I uh, have not seen uh, any real big update on this story. Uh, almost, I think I called it like the perfect story for last year. We... Uh, started off in January talking about this, where it was launched. And then uh, in December, it wrapped up. And I think it made the top 10 
I have to go double check. I'm uh, pretty sure it made the top 10. Just for the interesting uh, direction that we have not seen in any paranormal field with this uh, in a long time. Cryptozoology uh, kind of started the, or kind of tried to do something similar, uh, but it didn't gain as much traction as this. So back in 2020, aerospace entrepreneur, and uh, I'm sure you know him from owning some famous property out west, Robert Bigelow, rich guy who uh, has been spending a lot of money in the UFO field over the years, uh, created the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies, also known as BIX, like the lighter, I guess. Um, in early 2021, a contest was launched for essays to be submitted to uh, help provide a strong argument for the possibility of life surviving after the death of the physical body. Uh, the contest was highly successful, and with so many submissions, they uh, they had a few spots. They were supposed to have, I think, like three runner-ups and a, a winner, and they ended up just expanding that a lot. They expanded the pool of winners. A lot more money was handed out than, uh, than was... Uh, Initially thought they kind of divided it up a little bit weird. And I'll be honest, when that thing launched, I really honestly considered uh, just basically taking my E4 method book, which you know, I've got kind of limited experience actually using in the field because of different circumstances, which is one of the reasons why I kind of just stopped pushing it. But uh, I really honestly thought about using that as a springboard. But uh, this is it's a pretty difficult thing to do. You're not just going to write a hypothesis, uh, a weak hypothesis and plant that in there. Uh, there's a there's a lot of process that has to go through. This is a, a professional essay. So you really got to you really got to cross your T's and dot your I's and actually do the work and, and uh, have a budget. And, uh, you know, basically, these uh, most of these people were or actual scientists or doctors or uh, people involved uh, in research already. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see too many ghost hunters or paranormal investigators winning this contest. Um, but a few new age people, I think, did submit some stuff. But uh, I didn't see anybody. Uh, I mean, a lot of Ph.D. people were up in there. Well, I have a Ph.D. too, so I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but uh, I was excited to see a new contest was announced. Uh, it was actually back on September 1st. And it's called, this year is called the Challenge. Uh, it's because it's going to be a challenge to um, to everybody, I guess. You know, they, they got kind of got caught off guard last year with how many people submitted. And their uh, judges uh, kind of argued about it and said, gosh, we need we need more winners because this is just really interesting. Uh, that submissions that they're getting. And they're hoping that this will significantly impact the future of survival of human consciousness studies. And of course, you know, obviously human consciousness that uh, is able to survive the permanent death of the body, the physical body. Uh, the contest runs through April 1st of 2024. After that, a three-month evaluation of the essay winners will be announced in August of 2024. So 
not going to have any update this year, unfortunately, for the story. Uh, but it seems like they're given a little extra time. Uh, but again, there is a, a big, big process to this. So even just to submit an essay, uh, you basically have to uh, submit who you are, your background, uh, what you intend to write about, your methodology, your budget, what you need to uh, um, you know, use for your study, use for your research. Uh, so it's pretty involved even just to be able to get to that point. So I think that probably eliminates a lot of people. It's a lot of work. Let's just put it to you that way. There's, uh, uh, they demand a lot of form and structure, which is pretty normal for scientific essays. Um, yeah, it's pretty much for the rich. It's for people that are already doing this stuff. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's got a – there's a method behind the madness with that because – you don't want just anybody just writing a bunch of gibberish that they can't back up or writing some fan fiction. Oh, there was some really good stuff that was written last year. And um, uh, Jeffrey Mishlove submitted the, the winning essay titled uh, Beyond the Brain, the Survival of Human Consciousness After Permanent Bodily Death. Uh, he collected $500,000 for his research. I mean, it's money that's going to further study and i think that's the that's the reason for the reward it's not just to get a payday to get money uh to take a cruise or fly around the world uh their bix is really looking at this as how do we further the field how do we get real answers and the, i think the way that we get answers i mean maybe through money but to get people more interested in doing actual research um you know i guess parapsychology just isn't cutting it anymore and we're looking at uh, getting as many different people involved in consciousness studies, because that's really where it's at. It's not about ghosts. It's about consciousness. Uh, how do we bridge that gap from our consciousness while we're living to communicating with the other side? Um, yeah, but I guess it does boil down to money. The prizes will include grants of up to $50,000 for 12 proposals. And then up to $100,000 for four other proposals. So your top four, I don't know how they're going to reward the uh, the winner. So they on September 1st, they had a YouTube video. It's li literally an hour long. I think it took me a week to watch that thing. Uh, and probably half of it, well, maybe not half, probably 20 minutes, they talked about the money. And how the, the money could be moved around. So they, you know, it says $50,000 for 12, you know, the, the bottom 12. But really, they could move that money around. Uh, they could turn that into $25,000 for 24 proposals if they get a lot. Or maybe they split it up and um, maybe somebody gets $75,000. Uh, so they're just looking at, you know, it's a pool of money, basically, and that they can use it how they want, uh, deemed based on the proposals uh, that are put in or the essays that end up uh, going through. So um, that's just kind of, was kind of weird to hear that about how the money could be moved around by the caliber of proposals. Just weird. Uh, but there was a lot of good stuff, and you can read all those. I think there's like 29 
essays available, and you can go to bigelowinstitute.org. That's bigelowinstitute.org. All one word, except for org. It's .org. Um, and the focus this time is, was basically just on kind of generally on consciousness. Uh, how do we how do we bridge the gap? How do we um, how do we validate that? How do we look at that? How do we identify that? Uh, but now they're getting a little bit more specific, and they're they're kind of making it a topic uh, where they're looking at communication or contact with the so-called other side. So how do we how's that communication work? And I think that's an interesting step to take to be a little bit more specific. Although I think some of the uh, the proposals last year kind of touched on this, so we'll we'll see if anything's just adjusted or changed. Um, but I read quite a few of those, and some of them were pretty thought-provoking. Um, some of them had some good research. Some of them not so much, but I think it was just more like a money grab kind of thing. But uh, um, yeah, there will be a pre-evaluation period basically for those who want to submit essays. So you're going to have to talk about your background, your summary, your proposed work, and again, a budget and everything. So we'll see. And I don't know if they're going to announce who is going to be in the pool this time or they're just going to keep it all secret and then wait till um, April 1st. Then, they'll, again, they'll spend a couple of months uh, reading through that, disseminating and figuring out who's going to be the big winner. They should have a TV show. That'd be pretty boring, I guess. So again, BigelowInstitute.org. You can check out the Bix Challenge 2023. And if you're interested in uh, submitting your information, again, well, you just go to BigelowInstitute.org. But it's info at BigelowInstitute.com is going to be the, uh, I don't know why it's .com for the email, but .org. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is .org. Um, so they're going to be taking all that information through the website, but you can read it. If you go to bigelowinstitute.org and you go to, uh, you click on Bix Challenge 2023, they kind of take that hour long YouTube video and just kind of lay it out. Uh, but again, the goal here is to help fund research toward the discovery of information dealing with the survival hop hypothesis. Um, and, you know, obviously with communication, how do we bridge that gap? How do we tap into that consciousness that uh, supposedly exists beyond our physical world here and uh, hopefully help make some new discoveries? Or at least, uh, I think, you know, generating outside interest in the field to help um, kind of sow the seeds for other research interests. You may, maybe bring some people in. Uh, again, I saw some medical doctors that were involved. Uh, last year. So maybe we continue to bring in people, bring in some experts who study the brain and the mind or the mind and kind of get them involved in, in how we can further expand on this research instead of, a you know, just a bunch of guys who are believers in ghosts. Um, you know, that's kind of how it used to be. Psychical research. These are just regular scientists who just kind of got involved in all this. And then you know, parapsychology, uh, for the most part, is mostly people who are generally um, focused on consciousness studies. Not so much your regular everyday scientists, but uh, we'll see. Maybe we can kind of go 
and um, bridge that gap, so as to say. Um, and we got a weird story here, and also in the ghost field. Um, really weird story, and it's a. I guess I, I would say it's a cautionary tale. Uh, be careful what you do. If you're a paranormal investigator, you're a ghost investigator. Uh, I've seen a lot of questionable things pop up over the years. People getting involved or making comments. Uh, every time a celebrity dies, every time anybody famous dies, you hear all these people come out of the woodwork and start talking about how they're communicating with these people via ITC or their other devices that they have. And they're carrying on EVP sessions with these these famous people who have passed away. But it's usually in bad taste, I think. I don't think there's anything positive that comes out of stuff like that. I remember they did that with uh, Paul Walker and Michael Jackson. A lot of people over the years, uh, famous people, uh, Kobe Bryant, which they got. There's a particular individual who got a lot of backlash over that. Uh, very bad taste, I think. Uh, there's other ways to do things. And what about everybody else that passes away? You know, help solve some crimes. If, if you're really doing that, help solve some crimes. Help solve some murders, uh, you know, like the psychics supposedly do. You know, oh, well, uh, the, uh, they're near water. They're near, they're near water. Oh, okay, so, yeah, it's 75% of the, the, the earth is water. Thanks. Matilda, for your insight. I don't know who Matilda is. Uh, but speaking of solving crimes, uh, sometimes paranormal investigators get a little too close to these kind of things. Uh, a lot of psychics will, will, again, put their information out there or contact police or make assumptions or get in the press and make statements. Uh, usually they're, they're not right. I mean, remember... Uh, Sylvia Brown, the late Sylvia Brown, very famous psychic, uh, who on live television told a mom that her daughter was dead. Uh, she was missing and presumed dead. And But uh, Sylvia Brown said, no, she is dead. She's dead. Sorry. The mom passed away, thinking that her daughter was dead. And a few years later, her daughter was found alive. It's a local story. Uh, so, yeah, not a whole lot of trust in psychics. Most psychics. There's a few that are really interesting that I've worked with that uh, I can't deny what they're able to do. Well, it's hard to validate, but I've seen some amazing things. But again, there are genuine psychics. If there are genuine paranormal researchers and investigators that are tapping into consciousness on the other side, first of all, should enter the Bix contest and, and get some cash. Get some new. You get some new uh, black T-shirts for the entire group. That'd be you know good down payment to uh, buy some black T-shirts. Maybe a banner. Maybe paint your car. Wrap your car with your logo. That'd be kind of cool. You don't see that. Uh, but in Connecticut, a, a paranormal researcher investigator. Social media influencer. Of course, that's, you know, everybody is a social media influencer, I suppose. If you have a YouTube channel or whatever. Uh, a guy named Sean Austin. 
had a, a team of divers. Now, I didn't watch all this. They did a live broadcast on TikTok and YouTube uh, over the weekend. I haven't really watched it too much. I just read about the story today, so I really didn't do a lot of research into it. I, I'll admit it. I still find it fascinating. Uh, I'll probably end up watching this stuff, but it, it's not really worth it. Uh, so they basically what they had done is uh, they found a rug in the water in a river, the Farmington River in Connecticut. Uh, they, they claim the rug is possibly linked to the murder of Jennifer Farber Dulos, which is a, a pretty high-profile case, a missing persons case, a presumed death. Uh, Jennifer Dulos disappeared back on May 24th of 2019 in Connecticut. Uh, so missing just uh, just over three years. Um, a lot of a uh, lot of coverage about that local coverage. I, I've heard a little bit about it, um, but the uh, husband and his girlfriend were arrested on charges of tampering with evidence. Um, oh, the husband died by suicide in 2020, so uh, we may never know exactly what happened, uh, but. In that particular case, there was potential evidence of a rug being used in the crime, never discovered, never found. Uh, and so this, this paranormal investigator and his team claimed that this rug that they found was definitely linked this, to this murder. You know, that's their, their claim as paranormal researchers. And again, it's a cautionary tale. No your boundaries, know your limits, know your role. If you're a paranormal investigator, you're not a cop. You're not a, a crime scene investigator. You shouldn't be tampering with evidence. Uh, if it's a suspected to be involved in a case, then don't touch it. Uh, so they pulled this rug from the, uh, the river. It was approximately 10 feet long. It was wrapped around two cinder blocks which uh, they found suspicious. Uh, so the state police got involved. Obviously, if you're going to make a claim that this is a involved in a uh, big crime, well, the major crime squad came out to assist with the investigation of the rug. And, uh, you know, they were uh, playing around with this thing, and apparently they, they saw what they thought was blood. So this could have been a big deal here, but, you know, they're touching it. And I don't think the, I don't think the police were too happy about that. Uh, detectives ended up running several tests on the large brown and red stains that were on the rug and determined that they were not blood. According to the state police, uh, they released that uh, on Monday. So, whoops. Oh, it's a giant rug. It's a pretty big rug, and it's got some weird-looking stains. This guy's standing over top of it, looking down, like, bro, what's this? What are these stains? So why is a river, or I'm sorry, why is a rug in a river? Uh, but uh, the state police 
commented, said, quote, detectives have found no evidence of the rug being related to any criminal case, unquote. Uh, but again, there was a rug involved in this murder. So, of course, the paranormal investigator probably got all excited and probably made the claim and had that gut feeling like, wow, we solved the crime. We found the evidence because a ghost led us to the crime scene. Uh, however, if they had any knowledge about anything that was going on or did any research into the investigation, they would have known that state police and detectives uh, found a lot of rugs in the area and did, did some research on why there were so many rugs found in the river or along the river, buried in the embankment or um, in, actually in the river. So police had already found rugs in the river, which is mysterious. However, interviewing locals led them to understand that rugs are used to launch and retrieve kayaks in the area. Now, I've never heard of that. I've had my kayak for uh, five or six years. I've kayaked many years before. Uh, renting one, but I've never seen anybody launch or retrieve a kayak with a rug. But apparently that's a thing. Um, and rugs are also used to keep vegetation down in this area of the Farmington River, according to police. So nothing mysterious, nothing to see here. And trust me, I'm pretty sure they want to solve this crime. And state police also reminded anyone and everyone, anyone who finds something that could be criminal evidence to call 911 instead of handling the items in order to avoid any possible evidence contamination. So, yes, they might have found the rug used in a murder, but handling it, bringing it out of the water and uh, splashing it around and showing people on YouTube and TikTok – you, you could have washed away the, the actual evidence. You could have ruined it, tampered with it, gotten your DNA all over it, and uh, ruined that evidence. So don't touch it. If you thought it was part of a crime scene, you shouldn't touch it. And if you admit that you know about it, then you're kind of incriminating yourself. They're lucky they didn't get charges pressed against them, to be honest, um, pulling a stunt like that. So lesson learned. Don't get involved in stuff like that. Don't. Make claims. Uh, don't try to become something that you're not. And, uh, you know, they didn't know. I mean, mysterious rug pulled out of the water with stains on it. Uh, the police have to follow up on that. You know, it's not an option of like, well, this guy's screwing around. He's on TikTok. He's on YouTube. Uh, he's just trying to get followers. He's trying to create controversy. But you still got to follow up. I mean, this is a major unsolved crime, a uh, murder, a cold case. Uh, they probably know what happened, but unfortunately, with the husband being deceased, uh, you're going to be a little bit, you know, reaching for evidence at this point. You've got to find stuff because no one's going to admit to it now if he was involved or if somebody else was involved. There's no direction in the case, apparently. Uh, so you've got to find physical evidence. And if you could find physical evidence that could tie up 
that could just what could actually be a domino to lead to other things, or at least to paint a picture as to what happened. Uh, unfortunately, in the last days of Jenner, Jennifer Dulos's life, um, it's just tough. It's hard. I, I don't know if her uh, anybody of her family is still around, but it, those are really hard when you don't know what happened. It's tough. Um, unfortunately, I've been involved in uh, families who have lost people. Uh, my best friend lost his sister uh, a long time ago and uh, very good friends with her. So it was painful for me too. And just not knowing what had happened at the time was very difficult. Um, Gut-wrenching to, to finally find out what had happened. And, uh, you know, the discovery of the body was extremely painful because you, then you know there's no chance, there's no hope of them being alive. But uh, did provide closure, which kind of helps. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fully ever heal anything. So when you're screwing around and you're trying to get popular off of somebody else's death, um, it's dangerous ground because you're dealing with people's emotions. You're dealing with people's hopes of, of getting that, that answer. And also, you know, the legalities of things. So yeah, probably not wise to get involved in that as a paranormal investigator. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Um, and our last story tonight uh, maybe you say leave it alone on this one, too. This is uh, kind of scary. And it's really, it sounds like it's something out of a movie. It doesn't even seem real. Are we really doing this? And hopefully this is also something that we never have to actually rely on. Like, this is just be a test and that we never actually have to do this. And hopefully we don't screw this up. Uh, NASA... Of course, you know, NASA has been in the news because of the disappointment of the two-time, two-time delay of the moon-bound Artemis 1 rocket. Uh, hopefully, is uh, set for uh, two weeks from now, right? The, four, uh, the 27th? Eh, we'll see. I don't want to get my hopes up on a date yet, but we'll wait. Um, now the administration has launched a rocket that is meant to crash on purpose, but one day might save humanity. Uh, in November of 2021, NASA launched the Double Asteroid Redirect Test Spacecraft. That's a mouthful. Double Asteroid Redirect Test sp Spacecraft, uh, or DART for short. Double Asteroid Redirect Test. Uh, something they've been planning on for quite a long time. And uh, it's, it's uh, they launched it then because of the uh, asteroid Didymus that's uh, kind of getting close to Earth. It's pretty close. It's pretty much as well, it's almost as close as it's going to be. And uh, it's it's an interesting asteroid because it actually has a, they call it a uh, is it a dual asteroid, but it's kind of basically an asteroid with a moon. It's got a small orbiting rock, a smaller orbiting rock around it I'll call it, called Dimorphos. And Dimorphos is the target which is slated to be between September 26th 
and October 1st. That's about the time that we're going to be launching Artemis 1, I hope. So hopefully that news doesn't get buried. Uh, so with that rocket, uh, it's really like a probe. It's not really like a – it's like a little satellite up there. Uh, but what they're going to do is they're going to take the satellite and they're going to uh, – uh, they're going to shove it into this uh, dimorphous rock, this little moon. So they're going to slam it into this rock at about 15,000 miles per hour. And to uh, the, the hope is to slightly move the asteroid from its current position. Uh, so basically, we're going to test the hypothesis of whether or not we can redirect asteroids or the space debris with rockets. Hopefully not nuclear weapons or anything like that, but uh, just regular impacts of uh, – I would take mass, take volume though, so I don't know – I don't care how fast it's going. It's got to be something heavy to, to move it. Um, but the uh, it's called a, a well, yeah, binary asteroid system of Didymos is uh, not a direct threat to Earth, so they say in the story. But if you do your research, as I usually do, uh, in 2003, it came within 7 million miles of Earth. That's pretty close. That's a close call, uh, 7 million miles. Uh, it's going to be less than 6 million miles in 2123. Pretty sure. I don't think I'll be around for that. We'll try. Probably won't be on the show anymore. Uh, Dimorphos, the moon that is targeted, was discovered in 2003 and was officially named on June 23rd, 2020, due to the fact that Dimorphos was. Uh, targeted for this test, actually a different test earlier on, uh, but now for this test uh, to crash into it. Uh, and dimorphos means having two forms. Again, as agencies were already aware at that point when they named it that the rock was going to be a target for this type of test and having two forms. So basically it's going from its current form, which is untouched, it's probably been floating for millions, if not billions of years, untouched. And now we're going to alter it by slamming a piece of Earth into it and uh, hopefully changing its direction or its um, something about it, hopefully, with this impact. And it's the, um, the smallest astronomical object ever given a permanent name. And it's also going to be the first ever object to be altered by humans on purpose and you know my thought is it's if it's going to get close to earth why would we want to mess around with that if we give it the wrong nudge maybe it causes it to come closer to earth or, or dislodge and uh, come flying toward us or even mars because it does go by uh, pretty close to mars actually i think closer to mars in a little while than earth so what if we mess up mars that would be horrible um, yeah, but if they nudge it and it ends up hitting us in the future, how ironic would that be? Um, the hope of this test is that we will understand if we would be able to utilize this type of planetary defense in the future. Uh, I hope we do uh, well with that because I certainly don't want to be launching nuclear weapons into space. 
or uh, have to uh, rely on different methods, different means. This is the easiest method overall. Take object A and ram it, object B. Uh, all these other things you're talking about, uh, space sails and different things that they they the other choices that they have are, are maybe launching. Oh, I don't know, uh, a bunch of guys who drill for oil up there, and they could drill a hole into it, put a nuclear bomb in a hole. Uh, I think I saw that in a movie once. Yeah, I did. I did. Hopefully, we don't do that. That's just absolutely silly. That's all the news I have for you tonight. I'll let you guys and gals get out of here and uh, go get some rest. Um, not sure about next week. Might not have a show next week, but I'll keep you posted. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. Don't don't believe everything you see. Don't believe everything you hear, but don't discount it either. There might be something truthful about what you're looking at. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.